Hello, 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 and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm your host. Every Wednesday and Friday, I am bringing you interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. Today's guest is Joyce Lynn, and Joyce is a sculptural furniture maker. Um, it's really hard to describe her work just because she's she's constantly like she's always evolving and making more sculptural pieces but they're always functional so um and she's always looking to you know kind of push herself in the direction of what type of medium to use and so I just I struggle to (laughs) to define uh what she does but I I can tell you that it's amazing. So I'm really ecstatic to have her on the podcast today and get to talk about the pieces that she has created and kind of her evolution along the way and what she's up to now. Before we hop on into the podcast, though, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Annette of 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson of Women in Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Lefty's Workshop, sorry, Kevin, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Brandy, Studio Obey, Lee, The Rainbow Carver, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs, Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support, uh, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. So thank you so very much. And if you would like to get your name added to this list, you certainly can. Uh, Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution, and you can join the revolution over there and get your name added to the list for the start of every episode every week. All right, with no further ado, here is Joyce Lynn. I like to start with having my guests introduce themselves. So would you go ahead and do that for me? Yeah, uh, my name is Joyce Lynn. Um, I'm an artist, maker, um, also an educator. uh, And I am currently based in Houston, Texas. um, And I mostly make uh, sculptural furniture work, a combination of sculpture and furniture. Um, out of all kinds of different mediums, um, wood, uh, plastics, fiberglass, um, just whatever, pond furniture, whatever suits the idea. Um, yeah, it's basically. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the first question I really have is like kind of the big question, mm-hmm. which is I just want to, you know, know uh, what's your what's your story from like where were you born to you know, growing up and then how you get, how did you get into doing sculptural pieces? Yeah, so um, I was starting from the very, very beginning. I was born in North Carolina. Um, uh, Very early on, on, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I grew up. Um, And I've always been like a very artistic kid. Um, My parents are both biomedical researchers. Um, So I, I come from a very scientific family, but like very early on, I very I wanted to be an artist. I think I was maybe like five years old when I when I said I wanted to be an artist. It hasn't really changed since then. 
Um, so I was doing a lot of drawing. I was also um, a very crafty kid. I was I would sort of go around the house looking for little scraps and you know discarded like like popsicle sticks, pipe cleaners, whatever. And I would make like miniature furniture. Um, but you know, in Birmingham, Alabama, like growing up in the South, I was also a very shy kid and um, didn't really fit in. Um, I was, I think I was maybe one of like three Asian kids in my elementary school. The other one being one of the, one of them being my brother. Um, so I found, uh, the Alabama, Alabama School of Fine Arts, um, which is a public arts magnet high school that does, um, seventh grade all the way through, um, senior, senior year. Uh, so I applied and got into that. And that was kind of where I found like my niche. It was you know, feeling like, like, like I fit in for the first time and, and um, going to uh, an art school. Uh, and so that school is, is, is uh, the curriculum is sort of modeled off of like a college art program. So, you know, they start off with your standard drawing, painting, design, um, sculpture, very fundamental classes. And then, you know, towards your last two years, they kind of push you to do, um, uh, your own personal work and develop like a senior thesis. Uh, so um, I did my senior thesis in uh, kinetic sculpture. Um, I was working, I didn't really, I, I hadn't really done any woodworking until then, uh, but I was start, sort of starting to move into wood. I was, it was, it was popsicle sticks and hot glue, <laughs> that kind of stuff, <laughs> but it would, it would work. They were pretty large scale sculptures. Um, so that was kind of moving more and more into, into something that was very um, uh, 3D oriented, a lot, of, a lot more spatial thinking. Um, and then after I, after I did that and I was sort of thinking about what I wanted to do for, for college, um, I, I, I knew that I definitely wanted to keep pursuing my work. Um, but after being in art school for you know, six years, I, I wanted something a little bit different as well. Um, and I kind of wanted a little bit more of a, you know, I, sort of the rigorous science education that I felt like I hadn't really been getting in art school. Um, and also this feeling that, you know, if I wanted to move forward as an artist, you kind of have to do, you do your work, but then you also kind of have to draw from something from somewhere, whether that be your own life in general or, you know, a specific field or other, other interests. Um, so I was looking into interdisciplinary programs and I found the uh, Brown RISD dual degree program. So that's a, a, a partnership between Brown University and the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and it's a five-year program where you're attending both schools at once and you're kind of crafting your own curriculum, your own education. Um, you start off doing foundation year at, at RISD um, and then second year you do mostly Brown University. And then from there on, you're kind of going back and forth up and down the hill because they're they're pretty much right next to each other okay. in, in, in Providence. Like they're like back to back and you're kind of going up and down the hill, like taking your classes and doing what you need to do to, to graduate. Um, so I went in wanting initially wanting to do um, something like sculpture and engineering because I thought that was the most obvious, obvious choice. I hadn't really even considered design, um, but I, I went through foundation year and, and towards the end of that, um, that year you have to pick, you already have to pick your major because you you kind of have to go like start into that like se second year, you're in your department only. Um, uh, so I was shopping around the, the, the departments and I, I, I 
was actually a lot more drawn to the furniture department than the sculpture department, mostly because they have such like a much more um, uh, traditional, much, uh, much more emphasis on craft and making mm -hmm. things well. Um, and I just really liked the, the craftsmanship and the um, sort of the level of work coming from that department. Um, and it was also, I thought it was a good fit because it was, it was also this idea of function. So in kinetic sculpture, you're, you're making things with, the, with the, the idea of a specific function in mind, um, an emotion or action that you wanna make. And that's kind of, in a, in a way, I thought that was a little bit similar to furniture design where you kind of have this design object that has, fulfills, fulfills a purpose and sort of, you know, what you, what you make of it you know, this idea of form follows function was interesting to me at the time. Um, yeah, so I went into the furniture department at RISD and then at Brown, um, I was kind of also shopping around and I, I just, I learned pretty immediately that engineering wasn't for me. I think you had, to, you have to work with people a lot and it's a lot of um, designing things, but I don't know, something about it just didn't feel right to me. Um, I think because, probably because I was a lot more interested in natural sciences like biology. Um, so I, I found the, the, the geology department, I took an intro class and that was kind of very eye-opening to me um, in that it was, it was, it's a kind of a comprehensive science department where you have to learn everything. You have to learn biology, you have to learn chemistry, you have to learn physics um, and all, all of the pursuit of kind of understanding your surroundings and understanding the earth and where, where we come from and how things work in kind of this um, very all-encompassing way. So that was, so I went into the geology department and from there it was just kind of like, I just kept going. Um, there was, well, there's one point during, during my um, time there where I was still very much interested in kinetic sculpture, but I just didn't know how to make it fit into what I was doing in the furniture department. And um, we did uh, um, uh, we did a, a group independent study with the, with other dual degree students, where we were just kind of trying to figure out like how our departments fit together. And it was kind of at that point that I hit a wall, <laughs> where I realized you know I I was kind of holding myself back with actually doing like sticking with only kinetic sculpture, and that I sort of needed to open up and be a little bit more reactive to what I was learning and how it all fits together. Um, so after that, there's kind of a big change in my work moving from, from very mechanical, very kinetic work into something a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more complex. So from there, my work, I think everything that I did after that was very different from one another because it wasn't just this idea of things, of this kind of beauty of, 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 of um, things working together in this like harmonious way. It was also, as you, you know, get more into, into learning how to do, how to do furniture is you learn all these other materials and like, for instance, you know, vacuum forming, you know, working with like plastics and like all of these other materials that are kind of moving their way into the furniture world, like epoxy, epoxy clay, you know, um, and these different ways of working that are just so different from, you know, working with, within wood, woodworking, which is like very much rules, like you're kind of, you know, working within those constraints, but, you know, there, there's much, very much more of like a um, uh, tradition with, mm -hmm. with wood. Um, but with something like, you know, more, these more modern, quote unquote, modern materials, um, the, the rules are much looser. And it's a lot about like, 
you know, human engineering and what we can do to like make this form that doesn't seem like it should be real. So that kind of that kind of clash between what we consider like traditional and we consider new and you know the feeling of of some of a world that's very that feels very connected in this world that feels very disconnected you know this in this like human versus nature like um dichotomy those those things were kind of, of, of were kind of um going through my head at the time and sort of the work that i that came out of that was was very much influenced by that um so anyway so i i, I after i after i graduated um the program i was uh, kind of unsure of what I was doing for a while. Um, I stayed in Providence for a summer, then I was in Brooklyn for a couple months. Um, and eventually I just realized I couldn't, I couldn't afford to have a studio space um, or do really do anything, you know, in the Northeast. Um, I, yeah, so I, I just went back home. <laughs> and after, after I graduated, uh, when I, after I went to school, uh, my parents had moved to Houston, Texas. So I, I just came home and tried to figure out what I was what I was doing with my life. I was making work in my bedroom for a while, which was, you know, a little bit a little bit sad. But honestly, it was so much it was so much better than um, what I'd been doing before. I think it was um, a very difficult part part in my life, which I think is pretty natural for anyone. Mm -hmm. um, so I started looking for wood shops in, in Houston. And I stumbled upon a makerspace called TXRX Labs and um, a job listing for a woodshop manager and woodworking instructor. So um, I applied to that, I got it. Um, so since then, it's really just been, um, uh, my, my, my studio space and my woodshop has been based at this makerspace. Um, so I started doing, I started teaching, I, I learned how to use more equipment um, I also did a residency at the Houston Center for Contemporary Craft, which was just sort of me trying to plant my roots here. So since then, it's just been, you know, juggling my job as, as an instructor and managing the woodshop and also, you know, continuing to pursue my studio work. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to kind of loop back a little bit when you talked about going to the art magnet school. Mm -hmm. um was there besides like kind of getting to pursue this you know thing that you had a lot of interest in was there more diversity um as well like the student population was more diverse yes yeah for sure um I think that's all that's definitely why I felt a lot more at home mm -hmm. um is that there was it was a more diverse group of students and also I think there is more of a celebration of, of um, individuality and being you know different in that mm -hmm. you know that difference being a strength mm -hmm. so yeah for sure I think I think you know being in art school definitely make, made me feel a lot more um, you know like I fit in. Mm -hmm. How did the dynamic work um, like with your parents being so I guess science focused <laughs> and you being so art focused. Um, I mean, did they, did they think you were a little crazy or was it like embraced and encouraged from the, from the get go? Uh, <laughs> for a long time, they, I, they wanted me to pursue something. Like, I think they were, I think like any, any, you know, any parent, they're a little bit worried. 
Um, and at any time I would, you know, complain about like my work or what I'm doing, like my dad would just say, you know, it's, it's not too late to go to medical school. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say there was like a, a bit of a pressure at least to like succeed, but I think I'd been doing it for so long and I expressed like such dedication to it that they were like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, you do, do what makes you happy, but just whatever you do, you have to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like maybe after college, was there a level of like trying to define for yourself what success would look like? Yeah, I, I think so. I think after college, I, I felt like I had been in art school for so long and I'd kind of like merged my own like personal identity and like my community with it that it was kind of the first time that I was kind of left introduced to the real world for the first time and, and having to relearn where I fit in. Um, and I, I think it was, you know, this realization that, you know, it's, it's obviously it's very hard out there for an artist, but then to be an artist that, you know, making work that doesn't quite fit into the art world either, like, you know, the design world or the fine arts world and being sort of a little bit stuck in between or like moving moving back and forth, um, you, you, I realized it was, it, it was a, kind of a huge struggle to, to um, carve out a place for yourself in the world as well. So there's like, and then not knowing like financially what, what, what my future would mm-hmm. be, you know, how do I support myself and my practice. Mm-hmm. Hey makers. So today's podcast episode is sponsored in part by Alicia Van Osdahl, who is the owner of Basil Blue Design Company. Alicia is a maker of all things, really. Her focus is on beautiful craftsmanship through woodworking, repurposing, refinishing art and sculpture. Her background includes 30 years of graphic design, logos, and branding. If you have an idea or concept that and need a creative solution or graphic design, you can email Alicia directly at Alicia, and that is A-L-I-C-I-A at basilblue.com. Or you can visit her website at www.basilblue.com. And fun fact, uh, Alicia actually designed the logo for Crafting a Revolution. So that is an example of the impeccable work you can expect if that is something you are in the market for. So be sure to look up Alicia again at her website, basilblue.com. All right, let's get back into the action. I don't know if this is if this will be seen as a letdown, but I'm going to tell you, tell you that I'm assuming I am much older than you are. And I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you that uh, I I think finding a place for yourself in the world is like a continuous journey. Um, You know, you find a place that feels comfortable, but then you're always like yourself is always growing. Your art is always growing. Um, and then you end up not fitting in that box you just made for yourself. Like it's kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, a continuous thing. Um, yeah. I know Houston is pretty, uh, is one of the more like diverse places for sure uh, within Texas. Do you feel like you've found a community there? Um. Yeah, I think the, I think I'm, I'm, 
Well, I'm not, first of all, I'm not a very social person. <laughs> I, I pretty much, I pretty much spend every single day in the wood shop or in my studio. So I don't really get out a lot, just disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel very, I feel, feel very comfortable with, with Houston. I think I was a little bit skeptical at first, mostly because I didn't want to move at the time. But I think there is, I, I'm, I'm learning more and more how diverse of a city Houston is. Mm -hmm. um, and that there is, there is an arts uh, community here that is you know, strong and thriving and, and growing you know, pretty rapidly as, as the city grows as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's quite a few, and there's quite a few like specifically like furniture makers in the Houston area. Mm -hmm. um, in your maker space, um that you work at like what's just what's kind of the vibe there I mean is it yeah I'll just stop there what's the vibe there at, at the makerspace <laughs> the vibe mm -hmm. um the vibe is I think it's pretty I think we, we're pretty unique as a makerspace in that I I mean similar to a lot of makerspaces we started out as uh, like a group of volunteers this makerspace has been open for like 10 years now um, and it started out as a group of volunteers and like teaching classes and it was pretty like a little bit you know disorganized but a lot mm -hmm. of passion a lot of people there because they want to be and like wanted to contribute and we still have that but um, when I started um, it was sort of starting to become more more and more of a uh, so a little bit more structured so mm -hmm. um, starting to turn you know volunteers into full-time employees and so when I when I when I joined on it was it took a lot of work to sort of get the wood shop into shape. Mm -hmm. um, there was there was a, a lot of great members, of course, but then there were a lot of things that were just a little bit too disorganized. People like abusing the machines, um, and uh, you know not 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 following the rules and like mm -hmm. kind of being a mess, which is obviously a struggle in, of every makerspace. Yeah. But as I started to teach more and introduce myself to the members, it, it, it felt it felt more and more like a, a you know, um, a good community of, of people who are some people who are, you know, want are, are learning woodworking because they want it to be, you know, eventually part of their like career or mm -hmm. trying to pursue design at some point. And then also people who are just hobbyists who have, you know, a, a daytime job and come to the wood shop just to, you know, just to have fun and mm -hmm. and do what they want to do as a hobby so it's I don't know it's a it's a very it's a the vibe is is interesting it's interesting it's quirky mm -hmm. um and um yeah I don't know okay I mean we have like I have a makerspace um you know where I live I probably it's definitely I would say like underutilized by the community um, and I think probably every makerspace has its own personality. Yeah. Um, but in general, I mean, having the mix, like, do you feel like it's pretty, do you feel like the space is a pretty open and welcoming space for anybody who wants to get into craft? Um, we, we try to be. Um, I would say there's a little bit of a, a disconnect between, so our makerspace, we have, we have different areas. We, we have sort of like what we call, what we consider, we consider our education department, which is for doing um, 
education programs with schools mm-hmm. and apprenticeship programs sort of um, for the community, trying to educate, you know, people who come from low income backgrounds to, to eventually get trade skills. So there's like the sort of the education department, then there's the, you know, the makerspace side, which is where I'm more part of, which is, you know, doing classes and running memberships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also like the sort of the in- innovation engineering side, which is where we do fabrication for um, companies and, and mm-hmm. bigger organizations. So there's kind of, I'd see there's a little bit of like a clash between those areas. And sometimes it, I think we definitely give off more of like a tech techie mm-hmm. vibe, which, you know, is not is not really my realm. And I mm-hmm. try to um, to promote more of like the the, you know, the DIY, the craft Mm-hmm. You know, the woodworking aspect of it. So there's a little bit of, te- of attention there um, in that sometimes that techie side can sort of turn off certain people, a certain turn off certain groups of people. But um, I would say at least in the wood shop, um, I, I try to keep it as inclusive as possible. So, you know, after I started teaching, I, you know, obviously I was very concerned about like how people would, would, would view me, right? It's, mm-hmm. No, no secret, like surprise. I'm like a very small bodied, like Asian, you know, Asian. I'm like five, five one. It's, right. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm teaching and I'm, you know, obviously, you know, very young, very young looking and teaching people like teaching people who are like in their 60s, 70s who mm-hmm. might not, you know, want to hear, hear this stuff from someone like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was obviously very concerned at first, but at, at some point, you know, I, you kind of learn to turn off people who come in with that, that viewpoint and just kind of focus on your job. Because when you're in the wood shop, of course, you know, you are the authority because you're teaching them how not how to not cut their finger off. So they have mm-hmm. to listen to you. So, you know, when you exude that, that confidence that you know what you're doing, then that kind of, it kind of like shuts off any, any of those other prejudices, at least you hope it does. Mm-hmm. And I think after I started teaching, sort of the demographics of the people who are taking the classes also started to shift. You know, I'd say maybe like half a year after I started teaching, I started seeing, you know, a lot more diversity, a lot more women in, in my mm-hmm. classes. And, you know, a few, a few that, that would come up to me and say how much they appreciate that, it was, that, they, were, that they were being taught by someone who, you know, isn't mm-hmm. like typically in this field mm-hmm. or seen as in this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there can be a lot of power there in women learning from other women um, mm-hmm. can make it seem at least maybe more like a safer space for them to mm-hmm. experiment yeah. with what they're working on and all of that um, too, and not feel like, I don't know, not feel like they're going to be talked down to or um, assumed to not know what uh what they do know. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like the evolution of like your pieces. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you talked a little bit about like woodworking and like the rules of that and then going into like other materials and mediums um, and some of that being in college. Like, are you still being able to do that now? like we're in your makerspace to work with all the different types of materials. Mm-hmm. Hey, Pod Squad. So this week, this episode is also brought to you by me, your host, Katie Freeman of Freeman Furnishings. 
I am so ecstatic to finally be getting so, so close to releasing my first ever self-paced virtual trainings. Uh, the first one is called Woodstain Rockstar, and it's going to walk you through for a beginner or anyone really who's been around adding color to wood for a while too. I know you will learn something, but it's going to walk you through how to use natural uh, products to create color, bright, bold, beautiful colors to add to your woodworking pieces. Take it up a notch, whether you're DIY or experienced woodworker. This class is certainly going to help you out. So how do you join it? Well, you can join the waitlist for it by heading on over to at Freeman Furnishings on Instagram. So at Freeman Furnishings Click that link in that bio and you will see right there where there is a button that says Woodstain Rockstar Waitlist. Click that, sign up with your name and your email, and you will be the first to get the link when the class is released and get it for the introductory price. So you want to hop on it quick, that is for sure. And that's that. Head on over to at Freeman Furnishings on Instagram and check that out so you can learn how to use natural products, kitchen, household items to add bright, bold, beautiful colors to your pieces to bring that piece, that woodworking piece up a notch. All right, let's head back on into the podcast with Joyce Lynn. Yeah, so I think what was really great about you know, joining a maker space that has a lot of equipment is that I continue to learn more and more new equipment. So whereas I didn't do a lot of CNC and laser cutting work in college, just because I didn't really have the time or the need to do at the time, um, that, that's stuff that I'm able to, to do now. So, you know, we have, we have a wood shop. We also have a metal shop, ceramics, jewelry, screen printing, um, uh, machine shop laser cutters, 3D printers, mm-hmm. yeah. Where do you see, like, what are the mediums that you're working with most right now? Um, right now in this specific project that I'm, that I'm doing now, it's a lot of foam and fiberglass, which is not my favorite material to work with. But if I have an idea that really calls for it, then I just, I feel like, I feel like, okay, so I, I have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So tell me more about that. Like what's an idea that when you say an idea that really calls for it, what do you mean by that? Um, it's, it's a little bit hard to explain, I guess, but it's, I think sometimes, well, the way people often ask me, like, how, how do you come up with your ideas? And it's, you know, sometimes it's it's uh, happens a little bit randomly. Like there's, I suddenly have an, an idea for like two materials that I want to combine together, and then you know eventually I kind of figure out a form that expresses that. Um, so, and then sometimes it's the other way around where I have like a, a form that I really want to to bring to life, but then I don't have a material for it yet that really makes sense for it. Mm-hmm. So. so um, I think oftentimes I, I will juxtapose two materials and, and when, when those things make sense, it's like, okay, now I have to work with those materials. Like, and, and it's often just something that I'm really fascinated by. Like I was really fascinated by fiberglass for a while, even though I didn't, wasn't attracted to the, to the process because it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. But then I thought like, okay, if I really want to move forward with my work and sort of 
have this have this effect and sort of make a like almost some, some commentary commentary about this material then mm-hmm. I have to work with material yeah yeah what is I guess your kind of commentary around materials like fiberglass and other you know other mediums I guess outside of wood um I, I guess I well I, I guess there's something about those materials where you know in the same way that I think wood um the form itself and like our associations with it are also are very much connected to the material and like the structure of it how it works how it moves um it's the same thing is we have with other materials materials like plastics mm-hmm. in that it doesn't it, it almost seems like ruleless um it it, it it's a plastic you know it's literally called plastic it's yeah, it has plasticity it's mm-hmm. um it has all these properties but they're a little bit some of the most are a little bit unknown to us and there's kind of a mystery around these like new materials mm-hmm. so I, I consider that to be like um uh something that's very opaque so whereas whereas woodworking is kind of a very transparent process um that it's kind of you you, you have a lot of visible joinery you can kind mm-hmm. of see what's going on the internal structures you know something like like plastics or foam for instance, or even, you know, fiberglass, they're very, to me, very opaque. Mm-hmm. So sort of those properties of those materials um, sort of lend itself to certain forms that I find interesting. So I want, I want my, my objects to both, you know, push people away, but also draw people forward. Mm-hmm. When you're making, I think I've seen some of the, the like fiberglass furniture that you've made. Um, when you're making like that object that has like an intended purpose, but making it out of maybe what's not seen as like the typical material to make it out of, mm-hmm. um, does it, do you still intend for it to be like that, of uh, that functional piece for somebody? Um. Not necessarily. I mean, I, I do always, I do try to make my work at least, you know, functional because mm-hmm. I, I don't want them to be like seen purely as an object that you don't touch and that you don't interact with. And, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm not really making things that people will use every day. Mm-hmm. So in, in that way, I do, I think I do work more like a sculptor um, in that sense and that, that I make these kind of, these collectible works that are, really more for, for seeing, but at the same time, like as, as, you know, furniture works, I do kind of want them to like break the barrier between, you know, what you see on the wall or in, on a pedestal mm-hmm. and, and what you, you know, interact with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where, I mean, where are you sh- like showing your work predominantly? Um, so right now I have, I'm part of a show at RN company in, in New York, um, called Objects USA. Um, so I have a table there right now called Skin Table, um, and it's a, a piece of found furniture where I essentially, you know, um, use the scroll saw and a bandsaw to peel it, kind of like you would an apple, like layer mm-hmm. by layer the outer, the outer, you know, shell of it, and kind of like exploded it outwards. Um, made like some brass mounts, so it kind of looks like the outer skin is like kind of you know, floating on top mm-hmm. of like the inner wood. So um, I exhibit with Art and Company a lot 
and I'll, I'll be doing more so in the future. Okay. And so like, are you, do you make with like a show in mind or do you make, are you working on pieces that you don't know where they're going to land yet? <laughs> the, the latter. <laughs> um, I, I almost never make work with a show in mind. Um, I'm pretty consistent. I kind of have a rhythm with which I like make my pieces and it's really just one after another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after I, as soon as I, I'm close to finishing an idea or like right after I finish, I just start designing for the next one. And I'm not, not really concerned with like, you know, how everything fits together in the end or how it's going to look in a gallery or whatever. Um, it's just kind of like this like linear or maybe like a branching like tree-like pathway where I just mm-hmm. kind of keep making work and hope that everything kind of connects in this, in this way and just kind of keep building my portfolio. Mm-hmm. What do you feel most connected with when you think of the process of like designing the work and then like making the work what what part of that process do you feel most connected with Mm, uh I think I don't know it's kind of hard to say I feel pretty connected with all of it because I I never like turn turn off for any Mm -hmm. any part of it because everything everything is a struggle <laughs> from designing from coming up, coming up with the idea to designing it to testing it if it's even going to work to making it but still not sure if it's going to work to almost finishing but still not sure if it's going to work <laughs> it's all like pretty um in, involved mm-hmm. and it's, but I, would, I would say maybe i think maybe the most exciting part is like kind of that space right in between like after you've made the idea and then after you've like really started working on it which is like when you're kind of testing out mm-hmm. your materials and sort of like every like like the pieces you know maybe start to fall together mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense that's a little bit exciting mm-hmm. nerve-wracking but exciting mm-hmm. how connected do you feel to the pieces when they're done uh, when they're done, I think, I think I feel, I feel very much the most connected to them when they're about to be done. When I'm like so close, I can almost taste it. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, just like one more push, like gotta, mm-hmm. gotta get it out there. And then I finish it and it's suddenly it's like, oh my God, I'm seeing it for the first time. And that's usually when I'm like taking my first photos of it mm-hmm. and like clearing out, like cleaning my studio turning it into like, you know, putting up the backdrop mm-hmm. so it's like, I, I can actually see it without all the clutter and all the chaos around it. Um, and then it's like, I'm meeting them for the first time. And that's usually when I feel the most like, oh my God, I like, this is, this is it finally mm-hmm. for better or worse. Like here it is. <laughs> is it hard for you to let go of those pieces? Yeah. I think it is. I, I think for any artist or any designer, it's like hard to let go of like a work that's been in your studio for say, I don't know, three months or so mm-hmm. working like consistently on it, you know, all of its flaws and all of its like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, 
all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout if you enter the code maker mom you will get a 20 percent discount off any of the merchandise that you buy so that's just toolmomstore.com all right let's head back into the action yeah i really what you said there about like meeting it for the first time really really resonates because even though you're like basically have a very intimate relationship with it right <laughs> all through yeah. the process um but it's kind of not until you can like like you said declutter and like take a step back and really look at it that you're like oh you know you can like admire it just for mm -hmm. what it's become yeah yeah and i think that's also the the fun part and the reason why i do 3d work is because you know as you know as as a maker who works works with your hands works works with mm -hmm. like physical materials, like the fun part about it is that you never know what it's going to look like, never know for sure what it's going to look like mm -hmm. until it's actually done. And there's that kind of that goal of having it realized in, in physical space mm -hmm. and being able to meet it in like the, in the in the round is kind of like that goal that you're working towards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of the last like, um, like physical sculptural piece that I did that's now in my home. It's like, I even still can kind of like discover new things about mm -hmm. it, you know, whether it's like seeing it at a different angle or like just happen to like feel a certain part of it and it, you know, discovering what that part looks like. Um, it's definitely I mean, I think that's what at least attracted me to furniture is like that you get to interact with it in so many different senses. Um, yeah. And there's not necessarily a lot of that in our life, like where you get to, you can see it and you can touch it and you can smell it and you can, you know, hear it to some degree. So there's um, a lot that em uh, embodies all the senses. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like there's like a, like a push, like a back and forth dialogue that mm -hmm. is also, you know, hard to get in other, in other mediums. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite medium to work with? Or do you have a favorite medium to work with? Uh, it, my favorite medium, honestly, is still wood. You know, it feels like home to me. Because mm -hmm. it's what I do all, you know, every day, I teach it. Mm -hmm. And I, I understand it more or less, you know, I'm not like the best woodworker in, in the world, but I am, I, I am, I'm enough. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself push, wanting to push into wood more and like into different ways than you have before? Mm, maybe, you know, I think Sometimes I'll do I'll do with things that are more for just like personal interests, like mm -hmm. like I got into bowl turning a little bit for a while, um, not really intending to uh, make it part of my work necessarily, but just because I just it's just fun and I want to mm -hmm. do it. Uh, so sometimes I'll explore 
you know, other woodworking techniques that I haven't done before, but it's usually more just for the sake of, of learning. Mm -hmm. Is that, I mean, is that something that, did you expect to maybe have that where you work, where you get to learn just different techniques and different equipment? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't expect it, but it's a pretty good perk of the job. Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard out there for artists and designers to have, obviously like shops, shop space and shop equipment is really expensive mm -hmm. and kind of the only other place where you get sort of this diversity of, of equipment that you can use is um, a school. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this stuff is based on industry. Yeah. Do you feel, I mean, did you feel that kind of hard fall after school of like, I was used to this, like having any tool that I could imagine to now I have nothing. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was a hard fall. Mm -hmm. I, I think I feel, I almost felt like I landed flat on my back. I was expecting it. I knew it was going to happen, but still like when you go from, you know, whole wood shop to the next day, you're not allowed to come in here. It's hard. It's really hard. I think, especially because I, I feel most at home in a, in a shop surrounded mm -hmm. by equipment. It's kind of where I feel like most myself and most capable of, of, you know, moving through the world in, mm -hmm. in a sense. So like to, to not have a shop is really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely understand that. Do you think you'll have your own shop space at some point? That, that would be my dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something that I'm definitely working, working towards. I think one, one goal of, of me working at a shop and teaching right now is that I get to learn how to maintain the equipment and mm -hmm. set up a shop. So we recently moved to this um, really large um, uh, space. So we basically tripled in size and it's a huge project uh, with the city. We, we, we went from TXRX labs to, to basically being like co-owners of what we call the East End Maker Hub, um, mm. a, hu a huge project with the city in, in this 300,000 square foot warehouse. Oh wow! And really kind of starting from starting from scratch with obviously you know money from the city and the mm -hmm. government. But it was the first time I was able to sort of design a, a wood shop layout myself for the first time from scratch. Like we came in, there was no electricity, there mm -hmm. were barely any walls, and it was like, okay, I have this AutoCAD drawing. Machines are going to go here, 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 and here. You know, we have to have enough space, for like in front of the joiner and behind the joiner, planer, mm -hmm. table saw has to have, you know, a certain amount of clearance, you know, be where like the kickback zone, all of that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's been a pretty great experience for me to, you know, in the future, be able to design my own shop layout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, the shop space I'm currently in, it took quite literally years to figure out the flow of where, <laughs> you know, I'd move things from here to there and it just was not working for a very long time of like, you know, I'm constantly having to move things to get to this or this or this. Yeah. And I finally got the flow working and now I'm losing my shop space. So oh, um, no. <laughs> the, ben <laughs> the benefit of that is um, I'm bringing it to my garage and now I have the opportunity kind of like you said, it's like, I know, like, where I really need to have things and how I need to have it organized mm -hmm. so that it works with how I work. 
Um, and it's going to be my own garage space. So it's like, if I want to make like structural changes to it, like I can, you know, it's not a rented, a rented space. So that part's exciting. It's just, you know, stressful because it's happening way sooner than I expected and, you know, having yeah. to do it on a tight schedule and oh, all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> For sure. And then moving equipment, you know, it's, mm-hmm. yes. it's not stuff you can do yourself. No. And it's, you know, honestly, like the stuff that I have, um, and especially all the wood that I have, which is pretty, I have pretty large pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. I've moved them all about, I don't know, a dozen times. And so it was this, this go around, I told my wife, I said, we're hiring movers. I am not moving any of that <laughs> stuff ever again. Um, it's just, it's too much. Uh, it takes too much out of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing, I mean, I have quite a few pieces of, of wood that are, you know, 250 pounds and it's like oh, yeah. moving that on your own it's no. not something you should do. <laughs> no, it's like eventually, like it all, it all takes like a physical toll. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, but again, those are things that I get to look forward to of like, okay, in this space, like how can I set it up? So those things are like easier to move uh, mm-hmm. on my own when it's time to like work on that piece of wood. Like I, I still have to be able to move it somehow. So, um, yeah, you know, looking at those type of things. Mm-hmm. that's exciting though getting to move into a 300,000 square foot uh place that is just huge yes, um <laughs> massive I, I have to get such a workout just going from the parking lot to the wood shop or to my yeah. studio yeah so do you get your own like fully to yourself studio space then um I I rent a studio here Mm -hmm. Uh, so the idea of like moving to that, to this new space is that, you know, um, the maker space itself takes up only about a third of the, of the whole building. Um, and the the rest of it is rented space for Mm -hmm. people, for companies, startups, small studios, um, myself. Mm -hmm. How does, I mean, yeah. Has that, has it been successful? Has it been like, like you said, are there artists like yourselves and small startups and stuff who are taking advantage of this type of space to get started? Uh, we're really just starting out. We're actually not even like officially open yet. So pretty, we're pretty early on in the process. Mm-hmm. But we do have a lot of um, interesting tenants, a lot, pretty diverse group of tenants. But it's mostly um, en- people doing sort of engineering work. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we have... Um, we have like machinists, we have, you know, people 3D printing, you know, medical parts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, but we have also have some small startups. We like, we have like a fashion startup business here as well, mm-hmm. you know, with, with only like three people and they're, um, they're nonprofit. Um, we have a, a, a prison entrepreneurship program. Um, so that's also kind of a job training, mm-hmm. training type thing. So we're really open to any, to anyone coming in. But I'm, I'm yeah. Hoping, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that there will be like more craftspeople and more artists coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's even, I mean, that's still even super interesting to have like those small starter businesses and stuff like even like you said, like the medical parts and stuff like mm-hmm. I don't think 
I, I like it'd be interesting to talk to them just because it's like I don't know how if they understand like how incredible of an opportunity it is to like have that sort of space available to even go work out of you know like that's not something that's available all across the country to any yeah. everyone and anyone who who wants to do the, uh wants to do something new but has no you know has doesn't have the space to do that yeah yeah i think it's i think it's really exciting and it's you know i haven't really heard of seen seen anywhere else that is doing it to the same to the same level yeah i know that's like the dream of the person who runs the maker space like in my area that's exactly what you described exactly what he wants to be able to do um you know but all of that takes funding and money and all of that fun stuff <laughs> to get it going yeah. it was it was at least three years of of trying just working up the funding to make the move Mm -hmm. um, it's really kind of amazing like spectacular that we were able to make this move even though it was it was pretty hard it, like mm -hmm. making the move itself was like very difficult and then coming in the construction not being done yet we were all we were basically spread out in like these warehouses on pallets for like two months it was insane and then having to move the equipment in yep yep in your own space though do you get to have like your own tools that get to stay just yours um, I right now I uh, I do so I mean sometimes if I if it's something really nice like I just bought a best tool sander that I don't want anyone else mm -hmm. to touch if you know I'll, I'll I'll bring it to the wood shop but then I'll just bring it right back to my studio and lock the door mm -hmm. so yeah sometimes I do use my own tools and equipment but yeah if it's nice I'll keep it here yeah wise move very wise yeah. move yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, well Joyce I'm I'm watching our time so. I want to uh, give you a chance to let people know like how they can find you and see your work and see what you're working on. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, uh, my, well, my website is just Joyce-Lynn.com. Pretty simple. Um, and then my Instagram handle is Joe Lime, J-O-L-I-M-E. So you can follow, you can look on, on either of those to see my work. Um, yeah. And also just, like, thank you for inviting me. I think this is this podcast. First of all, I really love podcasts. <laughs> and I think this is just really cool to to invite, you know, specifically female and non-binary artists and makers to come and talk about the work. I think the diversity and the representation I know is important. Um, I think if I, you know, if I was, you know, still in school and like looking into into what people are doing, I, I think I would have listened to a podcast like this and it would have gave me maybe a, a little bit more comfort to about the future. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you so much. And... All right. So again, that was Joyce Lynn. And I will include the links on how you can follow along with her and see all of her amazing work in the show notes for this week's episode, which includes the description. So if you check out on your podcast app, the description, you will find there the links on how you can follow along with Joyce. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please, please, please make sure that you subscribe, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and most importantly, please, please, please share with two people, two other makers, female non-binary makers that you know of, or even male makers um, that you want to share this podcast with two other people so that we can 
hopefully reach our goal of hitting 10,000 downloads a month before the end of the year. Once we hit that mark, we will be trying to do a live podcast episode with Ashley Minnie singing live the intro outro song for crafting a revolution super ecstatic about that so help us get there share about the podcast all of it helps when i am not interviewing and producing podcast episodes you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com and at freeman furnishings across pretty much all the social media platforms active most frequently and pretty close to daily on Instagram and TikTok at Freeman Furnishings. So come on over, join me there, say hi, tell me you found me through the podcast. I love all of it. All right, it is Wednesday. I hope you are having a fantastic hump day. And as always, let's go craft a revolution. She, her, fan, fan, got something they want to say. Solution for the toxic masculinity is pollution.